Thank you, Roby. I would ask you to be ready in these passages up here. Second Timothy chapter 3 and Second Peter chapter 3. We have uh, a lot of study to do in them. But right now, I would like very much to bring you one of the most important teachings of the Bible, the purpose, the purpose of the church, the church itself. If there was no church, and if God hadn't ordained it and called us to it, if, if it never would have happened, if it wouldn't have happened, we wouldn't be here today. Christianity would have died out except for a few, a few people. And I, I am so grateful, grateful for the church. But let's study what that is and what it isn't. What it isn't. I want to bring you, be ready in 2 Timothy 3 and 2 Peter 3, by the way. The purpose of the church. First, what it isn't. I have to, I have to clarify these things because in the world, the purpose of the church has been polluted. It has been twisted and twisted through the ages. Through the ages, the officers of the church were some of the most evil people in the world. Supposedly representing Christ, they were the most educated people in the world, representing Christ to the, the poor people who weren't even allowed to study the Bible. So I want to say the purpose of the church is not, now watch, to save the world. It is not to save the world. One particular mainline church says in Matthew 13, that uh, it, it is a picture of the gospel permeating and purifying society. We're talking about leaven. And they use that, le that leaven parable in Matthew 13, saying that at the end of the world, the church, the teachings of the church, will have changed the entire world because the leaven will spread through, not true. To the contrary, world events in the end times will go terribly bad and become much worse before they get better. Now, it is going to get worse and worse and worse. Somewhere along the line, the, the timeline, we will be raptured to heaven and we won't be here at the very worst of it. But I wanted to you'd read with me 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Starting in verse 1. This know also that in the last days terrible times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Men shall be covetous boasters, proud and blasphemers. Mankind shall be disobedient to parents, unthankful, and unholy. It goes on. They will be without natural affection. I believe this is something that Pastor Rodney brought you last week. Natural affection having to do with parental love. 
They will be without natural affection. Parental love will decline in the end times. And those that practice parental love will be made fun of, might even have laws made against them. It goes on. It goes on. Without natural affection, they will be truce breakers or breaking of promises and vows. Mankind will be false accusers. Mankind will be incontinent, out of control. Mankind will be fierce despisers of those that are good. Traitors, heady, high-minded. They will be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And it goes on. They will have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts. I, 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 we go on, they are ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge. Does that, does that sound like the world is going to get better before the very end? Of course not. Now, if you're ready, would you turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 1. The second Peter, this second epistle, Beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, they that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust. Does that sound like the world's going to get better? It's destined to get better? There's a whole lot of mainstream churches that believe that the church is going, to, is going to make the world better before Jesus comes back. That's their motivation to keep working hard, to send missionaries, etc. I do not believe that. This goes on. Knowing this first, that there shall in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, since they died, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Now, that is an expression of what's called uniformitarianism. Nothing ever changes. It always stays the same. Since, the fathers have, since our forefathers have passed away, they're saying, these scoffers are saying that nothing will change. For this they are willingly, are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and of the earth standing out of the water and in the water. So the church's purpose instead is love. It is love. The purpose of the church is not to serve the world. Nowhere in the New Testament does the church tell us to serve the world, to, to, to march for civil rights, that, that's a nice thing. To stage pray-ins, that's a nice thing. This is not, 
This is not to say we don't do good things, but that's not what the Bible says church is for. Purpose of the church is not to attempt to rule the world as it did in the dark ages during Europe's reign. All of those during that dark ages, one or two religious people would rule the world. No, the known world at that time, the European world. It's not the purpose of the church to rule the world. It's not going to happen. Wow. All too often, Bible believers fall victim to this error. The error that we are to fight the enemies of Christ. It doesn't say that. The Crusades were built upon that. It was terrible. I think of Peter the Innocent. He was a young boy that woke up. He'd had a dream. And he went and told his priest, who went and told somebody else, who went and told somebody else. And they built a whole crusade over Peter the Innocent. And Peter the Innocent's dream was that all the children of Europe would come together and from Europe now would march on Jerusalem and that they would reclaim the city of Christ for, for, uh, for Christ. Well, they did real well, except that they ended up marching down to the Mediterranean, getting on boats to cross the Mediterranean, and were never seen again. Because of the evil of mankind, they were, they were sold into slavery and never seen again. Purpose of the church is not to fight the world. Usually the crusades, the crusaders that went to, that went to, Europe, that went to Jerusalem from Europe and other countries, usually those men were bloodthirsty soldiers who basically did a swath through Europe before they even got to Jerusalem. No, purpose of the church is not to fight the world. Purpose of the church is not to imitate the world. It has been sadly observed that today the church is so worldly and on occasion the world so churchy that angels themselves could not separate the two. I read a poem to you one time and I can't find it. I searched everywhere. I can't find it. And I saw it acted out once. They had, they had a, a young bride decked out in a wedding dress and she just looked so beautiful and pure. Then you had the world, worldly wise man. And they were separate. But worldly wise man came to her and said, you know, if you would dress a little different, more people would follow you. If you would compromise a little on some of your, your stance, more people would follow you. If you would do this and do this, and they kept getting closer and closer and closer, and by the end of the skit, the world and the church walked off together holding hands. That's what we have to guard against. We have to guard against that in that, I mean, our young people, our young people need to be aware and wise about Satan's plan to compromise you and have you become like the world. Purpose of the church is not to imitate the world. 
purpose of the church is not to isolate itself from the world. Again, during those dark ages, you would have the pole sitters. They would climb up 20, 34-foot poles and sit up there the whole life, being pure from sin and temptation. They developed a pulley system to get stuff up and to get stuff down. And they spent their whole life, and they were, I suppose they would be very godly away from all temptation, but they were worthless to the universe. They had no value. Plus, the, 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 they that go to the caves and just hide out there all their lives to stay pure. No, we are to learn how to cope with the temptations of the world. We are to be those that would be among those of the world, to lead those that we could to Christ. Wow. Those are not the purposes of the church, but it seems like there's more of that than there is the true purpose. True purpose of the church. Paul looked upon the church as an institution with a program, plan, and purpose. The facts are that Christ has literally loaded down His church with many responsibilities, with many tasks. The church's purpose, first of all and foremost, is to love God and to please God, to please Him. That's our main purpose. Yes, we can do that at home or on the mountaintop or in the, in, in the fishing boat. But when we do it together, we are fulfilling the purpose of the church. We're, when we're out there, we're outnumbered. When we come in here, we have the support of others who love Christ like we love Christ. We don't feel all alone. We don't give up, throw our arms up. Say, I can't, I can't be different. When we come here, we're together. We have unity. Purpose of the church is to love God and to please Him. I know I've said this before, but this is one of my, one of my ultimate laws that work for me. It works for me. And all I can say is there are things I don't want to do, like I said this morning, but I, I do them for the Lord. It's just that some things I do to please Him. Some things, some things that I don't want to do, I do them because it pleases Him. Some things I do that I, don't, that I shouldn't, I stop when I think of it because it's what pleases Him. Great ways for us to live our lives. The purpose of the church is to love God and to please Him. We have this in Mark twelve thirty. And you shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. John fifteen twelve. the night before Jesus was betrayed. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. How are we doing on that? A great commandment from God to us is to love him and love others. And especially, scriptures say, of, of the, the born-again believers, the church. We are to love 
one another. But we've come short. Some of us, some churches start off good with that. Then they have issues. They have separations. They have differences of opinion. You're allowed those things. You're allowed those things, but you're not allowed to disrespect when others have differences of opinion. Here's what happens in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat something against thee because you have left your first love. You started out good, but then you have left your first love. You had so many little fires in your life, so many distractions in your life. And don't forget, Satan knows you too. And he knows what buttons to push for the distractions. And we end up dividing our love, dividing our attention, dividing our energy for these other things. No matter what, we are to love God and love one another. Not to forget that. The purpose of the church, yes, is to love God and love one another. But it is also, purpose of the church is to glorify God. To glorify God. Now, what, what do I simply mean by that? We are to worship Him. To give Him glory in our lives. In little things. In big things. I told the congregation years ago about a man that he was so specific. He praised God every day for his watch battery. Because it kept going and going and going. He was so specific. Now, with that said, we are to glorify God. 2 Thessalonians 1.12 says this. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him. According to the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified because of you and your testimony and your belief. You're to be known for your love for God. You're, you're, you're to be known for your love to others. It's hard to do that when, when we criticize and complain. We need to respect and love one another. How do we glorify God? First, through our praise and our prayer. Psalms 50, 23 says, says it this way. Whoso offers praise glorifies me. Now, what is praise, by the way? I mean, I had a whole generation of, young, of children that didn't know what that meant. I've told that story how I had them give, go in a circle and give compliments to God. Make that part of your life to give Him compliments. Lord, you're so wonderful, you're so powerful, you're so merciful, you're so forgiving, you're so loving, you're so caring. You protect me and mine, you do this. And that's when we praise God, we give Him compliments. And, and through our prayers, John 14, 13 says it this way. John 14, 13. Whatever you shall ask, in my name, that would be in my, for my cause, 
that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Whatever you do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. We are, we are to praise. We are to pray. We are to praise, giving testimony to God. And those things give God glory. Now just imagine right now, you're Jesus Christ sitting down on the throne in heaven. And there's a million churches right now And he's receiving it all. It's not that he dismisses any of it. But all of a sudden, coming straight, clearly through to him, is this church in Smith Corner. And they are singing with all their heart. They are praising God. They, they, oh, they just, he loves it. I need to do that which praises him. I don't. I hope nobody's ever noticed till now. Now I know you all be watching me. But some of these hymns, I always change the pronouns to me and mine and you. And, uh, and it works for me as a praise to him. Try it sometime. We are to glorify God through our fruit bearing. John fifteen eight, through our fruit bearing. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. That's how we glorify God, that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. What fruit? If you need to be reminded, I I know that monthly you get reminded of this verse. And I think Pastor Rodney's message last week said something about it. But Galatians 5.22 speaks of the fruit you and I are to share and to bear with one another. We are through our fruit bearing. So let's see. But the fruit that we are to bear that brings him glory is love. Seems like that's always first, didn't it? We are to love one another. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, self-sacrificing, unselfish love, joy, an expression of the soul. You can have your world falling apart. You can be in the ER dying and still have joy for you know where you're going. Joy, regardless of circumstances, is an expression of your, your soul. Then it talks about peace. It's a fruit of the Spirit to have peace when no one else in your circumstance might have it. And it's peace with God, first of all. It's peace with others, second of all. To be able to have peace, even with those you might disagree, disagree with. We are to have peace. God called us all together with differences. We are to have peace with others. Can't have that without forgiveness then you're to have peace with self. To be able to have head hit the pillow when you have peace with self. No guilt for your life. No guilt. Well, when, when we talk about that, it goes on. The fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. That is the ability to put up with others' weaknesses. When others don't Live like you think they should live necessarily. Don't say, don't, 
don't respect you like you think, don't serve you like you think, we have long-suffering. I would believe, I would trust that the marriages in here that have lasted the longest and that are the most fulfilling are marriages that long suffer with one another, tolerate weaknesses from one another. Uh, it goes on. Gentleness, goodness, faith. Verse 23, meekness, the absence of anger. Fruit of the Spirit is the absence of anger. Temperance, which is self-control, to have self-control. To be able to control this body, this mind, these eyes, these hands. It all comes from the fruit of the Spirit. He's the source. I've found that when I don't, when I don't have the patience with that person that just cut me off on the Walmart parking lot. And I do what my dad used to do and almost just grip. What do you do? I catch myself. But... Sometimes I don't catch myself. And I realize I shortchanged the Lord today. I don't have as much of the Spirit controlling me right now. That's just a flashing red light for me. We need to be able to have meekness in our lives. To be able to have self-control. And then that last one, of course, temperance is so important as well. Temperance, meekness, no anger, temperance, self-control. Well, how do we glorify God? Through praise and prayer, through fruit bearing, through our giving. We give glory to God if we do it right. I've actually seen somebody go up with, a, with their tithe, I suppose, come up to the offering plate and slam it down mad. I don't know that that person gets the, understands the gift of giving that we are that we are to give and when we give it let it come from our heart through our through our giving then through our preaching and ministry through our preaching and ministry i have a verse here about the preaching i don't want it to be it's a requirement that i have in first peter 4:11 he's uh, he says, if any man speaks for the Lord, let him speak as the oracles or with the oracles of God. If any man minister, that means serve. Let him do it as of the ability which God gives. And some people have more ability than others. Who gives it? Who's the source? God. Not everybody's going to have the same gifts and abilities. Not everybody's going, going to, it's not going to be completely always fair in our eyes. Some are more gifted than others. It goes on. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God gives, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, speaking about your and my ministry, your ministry. And I especially want to ask for the younger generation, 
I want to ask, and those that feel aimless, purposeless in life when it comes to serving the Lord, I want to ask you to especially pay attention. This is very meaningful to some people. Yes, I checked that out. I've, I've done this, this, what we're going to do next as a whole sermon. I did it about five, six years ago. But it's so important for you as the church to understand there are seven gifts sprinkled through every congregation. And when we come together, we blend them together so that they're all represented. And you don't have to have but one. It's promised of God that you will have one. Some will have two or three of these, these gifts, these abilities. Some will have, have, they'll be multi-talented and gifted. Some might only have one, but notice this, God is the giver. God is the source. So I, I ask you to be with me here in Romans 12. In Romans 12, starting in verse 6. I want to, let's just start in verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office or use, usefulness is the way it would say. So we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of one another. And then it goes into the seven, the seven gifts. Having then gifts that are different, different according to the grace that is given to us. According to the grace, God is the author of our gifts. According to the grace that is given us, first of all, whether prophecy, that's the first one. And it's not foretelling the future necessarily, it's forth telling the truth. Now, some of you, just a few of you, I think, right now, knew, knew me 25 years ago. I don't have the gift of prophet. The prophet is usually the, the fist banger, the yeller, the screamer, he, he, the spittle, and angry, and in the pulpit even, and he just... He is just a tremendous prophet that very strong personalities turn out to hear because they can submit to him. Here was my problem. I was a youth pastor with a senior pastor that was a prophet. He always wanted to change me, to mold me into his mold. And I wasn't built that way. In a little bit, we'll talk about what I, how I'm built, but I wasn't built that way, and it was an error on his part, thinking that I should be just like him. It's an error on our parts when we think they should be just like us. No, it's several abilities differently. The prophet is someone that has no fear of others. They're going to say it like it is. And if they're in tune with God, they are mighty and powerful. Sometimes they get off track and selfish and self-centered, representing themselves. But that first one is prophecy according to the proportion of their faith. So even that 
has a proportion to it. The next one, ministry. Let us minister. In, in verse 7, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. The word ministry has to do this morning's message. Serving, servant, the gift of serving. Somebody has a flat tire out in the parking lot. Those who are able and willing and wanting will almost fight over who's going to help change them, who's going to help change it. It's, it's physical ministries. It's cleaning houses, maybe. Uh, shoveling. Toilets. Looking at Mike. Uh, uh, it's, just, it's just tremendous, the ministry of helps. There's probably more of that in here than any other. But not everybody's going to have it. The prophet's not going to maybe have it. The prophet could have it. Because we could all have more than one. But we at least have one of these. The, the ministry of helps is a very important ministry. Serving. Doulos. To serve others. Built on it. You might be so fulfilled in helping others with the ministry of helps. So, and again, that's a nice thing to have sitting next to you, in front of you, behind you. And if it, you have it, it's a nice thing to use for others. Uh, I, I remember back in the day, I think Thanksgiving, before Thanksgiving, Bonnie and I, Bonnie and I con contracted COVID. And as a matter of fact, right now we are at our highest antibodies, our doctor says, but that's not what we're getting at right now. I, every day, it seemed like, I would go out on my front porch and there would be food. Food from many of you, different food. We had so much food, we had a smorgasbord. Thank you for that. But the Ministry of Helps can include making and baking of food. I just wish you'd make them desserts too the next time. Yeah, not very many people did that one, trying to respect Bonnie. It goes on. Let us, on ministry, let us wait on our ministering, the gift of serving others. That's one of them. Very fulfilled. They often don't get the highest paid jobs. As this next one, teacher, we have some teachers among us. We have some public school teachers, some private school teachers. It seems to me that the teacher spends the most energy, sometimes money, to get his degree, to get her degree, but isn't so well respected when it comes to their, their paycheck. They are fulfilled in ministering to the children, teaching fulfilled. I think I have this, and I probably can, am looking at people here now that have this, the gift of teaching. Just because somebody puts curriculum in your hand and says, here, do this, that doesn't mean you have the gift of teaching. It's when you're so fulfilled doing it. All day long, I've been bubbly about bringing this message that it might actually help some of our young people to find purpose in life. Find a higher purpose in life, a higher calling in life to serve 
and then to teach, very fulfilled in teaching others. It goes on, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teaches on teaching, or he that exhorts on exhortation. If you're depressed, if you're sad and broken, talk to someone like my wife. She will exhort and encourage. The word exhort means encourage. She will encourage you. And we have those even, we have those scattered throughout. There are those that have the gift of depositing courage into you. We have them here. Those, those who are so fulfilled. And it's after a church service. They're not the first ones to leave. They're usually the ones that are looking for people who need, who need to be encouraged. Let him do it with simplicity. Simplicity means even privately. It's one thing to go person to person in the church and to encourage them and pray with them. It's another thing to go and tell everybody what you learned. The gossip that comes out of some of that. So when you are encouraging or counseling others, that's confidential. Don't go share it with anybody. I know you won't, I know you won't tell anybody. I promise not to have told anybody, but don't tell anybody, but... And then it goes like that right down the line. Or he that exhorts on exhortation. Next is he that gives, the gift of giving. Let him do it with simplicity. Giving is all of our calling. We are all called, I believe, and I have brought, brought many Bible studies on it. We are all called to tithe. We, when we leave one thing undone, it was that tithing, Jesus said. You, you've left that one thing undone. You've done well, but we're all called to tithe. That's, and this isn't about a, a, a giving message. I believe that and I can prove that many times over. But I also, Matthew 23 comes to mind. But I also say that we're supposed to give above and beyond. Now, here's what happens with the gift of giver. The gift of giving is someone who gives above and beyond what their tithe might be. Oh, and they're so fulfilled with it. They're so fulfilled. Do I confess? I don't think I have this. I give probably as much or more than anybody and when somebody has a need, I've got some money, don't tell Bonnie, hidden in my billfold. I bring it out and I'll, I'll help others. But it's kind of like this. When I do it, I'm not so fulfilled. I pull that money out and I, I don't want to. So I don't think I have the gift of giving. We tithe everything. We go above everything. But I'm not so fulfilled in it as well. So... That's what they're speaking of here. And to do it with simplicity. To do it so that nobody sees you. So that you're not blowing a trumpet and saying, hey, I, I just gave $1,000. Don't tell anybody. We're supposed to be giving our monies, our gifts to the Lord. These offering plates, that box in the back. Uh, those of you that collect it, we're never supposed to share anything about anyone. It's all between the giver and God.
That's what they're speaking of there. He that rules with diligence. Now, the word rule does not mean what you think. It doesn't mean the boss. It doesn't mean the president. It literally is a word used for administrate. It literally is the word used for those who are very... Bonnie is this. Who, there's a word eluding me. It's a very simple word. Uh, they, are, they are very organized. Thank you, Raymond. He helped me because he's got this. Many of you have it. Some of you don't. If you're an adult and married, I hope you're married to someone that does. That might be one of the hardest things in my life to be married to someone so organized that I can never find anything I lay down. Because every place has a place to live, David. Then I never see it for a year. That's like for me and Bob Snyder back there. We have doubles and triples and of everything because we, we can't find our stuff half the time. So it's easier to go to Sportsman's Warehouse and buy a new one. Listen, the gift of organization, I don't have it. If you want a good living illustration, look in at my desk before you leave today. I like what Carl said about me. He said that he, he knows where everything is, but I've got six piles on my desk, five piles on my desk. I know where they go, but you would have a terrible time finding anything. I don't have the gift of organization my wife does. It's okay. The way God did it, he married me to someone that does. My son, who will never hear this, my son is as bad off as I am. When he got called into the ministry, one of my prayers were, Lord, make sure he marries someone that's organized. And he did. He mar- his wife is very organized and keeps him straight. And for me to be in the pastorate this long, I have a day timer. And that keeps me organized as well. So I encourage you that way. But the gift of organization, picture this. I was talking to Kim Parker about this after church today. She used to go to Camp Manaway in with my youth group. And I was talking to her about a specific person in that day, very famous in our youth group, very pretty, uh, beautiful golden voice, a teenager. And they were all sitting in front of me, about 25 or 30 teenagers, junior high and senior high there at Camp at Manawagon in the old lodge that they had there. And uh, I had them all, they were on the floor sitting and I had my Bible at a makeshift uh, in my hand and I'm going through this list and I said, and I don't think anybody was paying attention, I didn't think. You're at camp, you're a youth group, you don't pay attention. But I said, you know you have this gift the gift of organization, even at your age, when, and I said it, and it changed somebody's life. I said, if your sock drawer is organized. And this very popular girl, she went, that's me! Very loudly. Everybody turned to her. She said, no, really, I thought there was something mental with me. 
I have everything in my room, in my books. Everything is so organized. I thought I was mentally ill, she said. Well, we got past that. This young lady went on to college, Penn State, I believe. She went on to get her master's. And the last I heard, she was the office manager of one of the biggest church, biggest banks in New York City. She used the gift that she had naturally. She developed it. She studied it. And now she's made a life out of it. Young people, please, I promise you the most fulfillment comes if you can discover what it is that fulfills you. And if you could make that part of your life, your life story. Doesn't have to be. You can be someone that's just organized and your household's organized. And, but I'm encouraging you to at least identify what your, what your gifts are. He that rules or administrates with diligence. Diligence, hard work. And he that shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now this one is a complicated thing. Mercy is the word used to feel the pain of others. And actually, you share, you share the pain of others. I have that. It just destroys me sometimes. I go home from church and I just want to cry for the different things that I have known or seen. And there's many mercies in here. Mercies. Now watch this though. You know you're a mercy. First of all, if you are fulfilled in sharing, in sharing the pain and the suffering of others. You get that? But you also know that if you get angry with the prophets. When the prophets are, you shouldn't be doing that. And that there's no mercy in it. The mercy is usually diametrically opposed completely opposites with the prophet. The prophet usually has very little mercy and needs to have some. My first senior pastor didn't have any and I had a lot of, I had a lot, a lot of bad times with it. But it taught me, taught me a great deal. Now, with all of that said, mercy, be careful. You're supposed to show mercy with cheerfulness. It's hard sometimes when you hear the disappointments and the pain of others. It weighs you down. How are you supposed to show it? With cheerfulness. Building them up. Edifying them up. Giving them, giving them the word of God. Scripture. Oh my, it's so helpful sometimes just to get, just to get a, a piece of Scripture I just got my hair cut this week. Bonnie said last week I looked like a street person. Well, during COVID, I wasn't able to get to my barber. But I got to my barber this week, and I love my barber because I sit there, I get my hair cut. He's been doing my hair for free for 40 years. 40 years. And uh, I, figure, I figure I'll be going to Mrs. Walters here once my old barber's done. But you know what my barber does? He's cutting away and he starts giving me scriptures. 
starts talking to me about doors being open and doors being shut. And whenever God opens a door, go through it. Whenever God shuts a door, look for an open door. That's what his, that's what his teaching was on, to me this week. But do what you do with cheerfulness. We are all like this. We all have these gifts and a church collects them together under one roof and they minister to each other, to God and to the community. That's what a church does. Now, this is just part one. I have several other parts to this, so I hope I can get them all out before you, you get too bored. But please encourage one another to identify your gifts and to realize we are one body in Christ. We don't all have to agree, agree with each other just on the major things is what we have to agree on. Lord Jesus Christ, as the musicians come, asking you, Lord, to please God, please God, help us. Use your Holy Spirit, show us, point us in the right direction on how we should be serving the Lord. And Lord, there's only a handful, but Lord, please bless these young people who are looking for purpose in their life. Help them, Lord, to find it and to use it, to be useful. Help our church to be useful to your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.